Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language. But the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today I'm going to talk about the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, many of the things I'm going to touch, some I have touched in a teaching called eschatology. Praise God. What is eschatology? Eschatology is the teaching of the end times. The teaching of the last days. You need to know what is going to happen. Because some of you just hear Armageddon. 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 The beast. Triple six. The white throne judgment. The second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The rapture. And you're like, ha. You know? So, get the sermon eschatology. Praise God. We ministers have a very interesting position when it comes to ministry. Uh, And I'll explain why our positions are very interesting. You're speaking to someone who knows God very intimately. You're speaking to someone who is getting to know God very intimately. You're also speaking to someone who does not know God intimately. And then you're also speaking to someone who doesn't know God at all. And by His grace, I must find wisdom to see how I can minister to all of you at the level you're at. You understand what I'm saying? And also require of some of you the maturity to understand why I preach certain things, teach certain things, expound certain ways. And to be patient also as a mature person to wait for the person who just joined four months ago to catch up with you. Huh? Notwithstanding also that as you continue understanding the gospel, one great man, Reinhard Bonke, God bless his soul, he said something wonderful one day. He said a very powerful statement. These are some of the last things he said before he passed. He said, one of those days, he said that I am an evangelist and therefore I'm a teacher of the ABCs. Why was he saying I'm a teacher of the ABCs? Because he's saying salvation is the first thing. Isn't it? But he said and added that because I have taught the ABCs for so many years, some people think I don't know the X, Y, Z. He said. And I know many people don't understand that. But when you listen to Reinhard Bonke, not talking to an evangelist, but talking to ministers, oh, he's deep. You understand? But because he's an evangelist, He must stay in the rule of the measure. You know, the scripture speaks of how 
we must um, stay in the rule of the measure with which we reach you. Okay? There is a space where God instructs us in the offices that he has called us that we minister to you according to the measure of the rule which God has distributed to us. And that is a measure that allows us to reach you. In reaching you, it's not just the physical contact I have with you, but it is the spiritual grace I have to touch your soul, your heart, your mind, your spirit in the ministry of the spirit. And because of that, there are rules of the spirit. There are rules in this whole ministry, in this whole idea called the gospel. Sometimes when you're reading, you find that Jesus makes statements, very strong statements like, do not cast pearl to swine. Why is Jesus saying do not cast pearl to swine? He says, least they trample them under their feet. And the Bible says, and they will turn and rend you up and tear you. Okay? When I was younger, I used to think that all depths, as long as it was availed, was for people who were available. But as I started to grow, I started to realize that there are things I cannot say to certain people because they can not only destroy or disturb those things, but through that I might create something that might set them against me without knowing. So when I was young, I gave too much because I used to give it as it came. Revelation for me was an excitement and at one point I did not know whether these things were only for me or these things were for everyone who received and believed. But as I grew older, the Spirit of the Lord started to tame me a bit, to tame me, to give me understanding in what and when I have to teach. So there are things, for example, that I could know for ten years and never teach them. Not because I don't want to, yet I can have them in a conversation with certain individuals in this ministry. Or in a certain group of people in this ministry. But yet also I've noticed that progressively there are things the Spirit of God has allowed me to share. You get my point? Because some of you, if you've known me for three, four, five years, you're now able to eat this stuff up. But you must also understand that for the person who's listening to me for the first two months, it's very hard for them. Some of them say, the English you are using. No, it's not the English. I'm reading King James, which is the Bible, which you also what? Read. But it's because it's so far from someone who has just been here for two, three, four, five months. But later on, you catch up. Isn't it? You always catch up. And so now we have a challenge because we have a group of people who we gave stuff that I don't think they understood it. Then we have a group of people who gave stuff, understood it, received it. Then we have a group of people who are just understanding things. And now to be able to minister to everyone at their own level, such that we don't lose one, is the very reason why Paul says, I became all things to all men that I might save some. Praise God. That I might what? Save some. But you realize that in all of these teachings, I'm always going around the doctrine of Christ. I have seen that, you know, when we read Hebrews, where you read about, uh, you know, doctrines of the baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. What does the next verse say in verse 4? 
He says, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says, and have tasted the good word of the Lord and the powers of the world to come, the Bible says, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance. Some of you have probably always asked yourself, why is it that it is hard for certain people? But scripture here is telling you that there are people who have tested the spirit, the good word, experienced all of these things, and they fall off. And the scripture says it is so impossible to bring some of those people back. But with God, all things are possible. Yes. Why does Paul use the word it's impossible? Because there are certain spaces in the spirit where you get to that if you ever turn yourself against, the Bible says, seeing that you're not worthy of eternal life, the Bible says, lo, we turn unto the Gentiles. There are certain things. That the Bible says, if the works that were done in you were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would be standing. You get it? Because, you see, the Bible speaks of people who loved not the truth. The Bible says, and they loved not the truth. Because they don't love the truth. The Bible says, God gives them over to delusions. That they might deceive even as they are deceived. Sometimes deception does not begin when somebody is new in the faith. Sometimes deception begins when God lets you, releases you, or takes the place of letting you be because you have refused to love truth. And some people don't love the truth. And it begins in those little small things. If the truth says forgive, why would you not forgive? What remains there for you? Tell me, Apostle, I'm struggling with unforgiveness. But don't tell me that I've refused to forgive. That is not loving the truth. And we have people like that. You understand what I'm saying? It's not even a struggle. They're not struggling. They justify it. You understand what I'm saying? So... Sometimes we are, what should we give? What shouldn't we give? But I have seen more freedom in my spirit over the years as God has allowed me to minister some of these things because evidently many of you are getting it. Majority of you are getting it. But then what do we do with those who have just joined? Okay? So we are trying to see what to do. And then sometimes even in the sermons, you'll see me go back a bit to some of those things because I need to help certain people. Be patient if you know them. You get it? But also, I pray you don't have hubris. <laughs> because you might assume you know what you don't know. You understand what I'm saying? But it's very hard to restore certain people. Because there's a grace once you test it. Too much is demanded of you. Did you hear that? Too much is what? Demanded of you. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. Now, when you talk about something like resurrection of the dead, it looks like a normal... Eh? Thing. Why is it part of the doctrine? Why is it part of the foundationals of the doctrine? Eternal judgment. Those things seem simple. Why is eternal judgment part or and parcel of the foundational doctrines? Okay? Now, why do we talk about the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment? 
I want to show you why it's a very powerful uh, revelation foundationally. Because some people take it lightly and they don't see how big it is. Okay? But I'll show you something here. Second Timothy chapter 2 verses 8. Second Timothy chapter 2 verses 8. The Bible says, Paul is telling his son Timothy. He tells him, remember, remember, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Remember that. Isn't that obvious? Why is it something that you want me to have in remembrance? Really? I thought certain things are so obvious. eh? Why should I remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead? Why should Paul emphasize it to his son? He tells him, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. He's saying, that's my gospel, mine, the thing that I preach. My understanding in the mystery of Christ. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now Paul would not have emphasized my if there was not an impression of people which had their own doctrine. And in Paul's day like it is now, there were doctrines, different doctrines concerning the resurrection of the dead. So Paul emphasizes, says, according to my gospel, Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Why does he insist on that? Hallelujah. He's talking about a deeper death. A deeper understanding of death. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we start to see the explanation. And I quote and I tell people, oh, when you're a student of the word, eh? Always be careful when certain ideas cross boundaries of churches. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? You see one idea in Romans, and you see God emphasizing it in Colossians. Then you see God emphasizing that idea in Ephesians. And then you see that same idea probably going into eh, the Philippians. When you see ideas crossing into churches, you should understand that those were general Revelations that were mandated on the spirit of the apostolic oracle to release in every foundational line of the church. Always be careful about the doctrines that cross the churches, as Paul writes in these letters, because it means in person he must have re echoed these things in the churches where the word, the apostolic, sometimes repeats certain things. We don't repeat them because we don't have new stuff, we repeat them sometimes because certain things are. Pillars. They are foundational. In their own revelation, they are the truths that hold other truths. You understand? You know, one time I told you that some truths are higher than other truths. But also, I show you a mystery today. That there are certain truths that are held by other truths. That without the foundation of certain truths, you cannot teach certain realities in the new creation. If you teach certain realities without understanding the foundation of these things then you'll only just be a loud gong, an empty thing speaking, without the substance and power to manifest what you're speaking. The, the, the reality of experience is full circle when you have a truth that carries its affirmation. You know, when he speaks of men which teach the law, the Bible says they desire to be teachers of the law, not knowing what they say, neither from whence they affirm. 
that means there are truths which are affirmation, okay? And on those truths, we teach confirmational truths. Those truths that are confirmational cannot stand without the truths that affirm them. You understand what I'm saying? And so there are scriptures that I repeat. Again, take heed when I repeat certain scriptures many times. Because some of those scriptures are affirmational. On them, many other things are confirmed. There are scriptures that you hear me always say. Things like, Blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place in Christ Jesus. Things like, Given everything that pertains to life and godliness. Things like, The communication of your faith becomes effectual through the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you, which is in Christ. Things like, That you might know what is the hope of your calling, glorious inheritance of saints, what is the exceeding greatness of power which is at work within you, the same that around when you raise Christ from the dead. When you see me repeat certain scriptures so much, I don't repeat them simply because I don't have what to say. I speak many scriptures because there are always affirmations of confirmations. And sometimes we give confirmations of things many people are not affirmed into. If you read Ephesians chapter 115 up to verses 20 and you understand it with your spirit, do you know that is the scripture that taught me how to demonstrate power? I never knew how to demonstrate the power of the Spirit. I learned how to demonstrate the power of the Spirit through that portion of Scripture. And the one which says to be strengthened with might in your inner man through the Holy Spirit. Those two revelations define the demonstration of power. I did not know how to demonstrate power. But when I understood the affirmation of those things, the confirmation was through the demonstration of the Spirit. Now you see why I emphasize it? I emphasize it because many of you don't know how to demonstrate power. And one day it will come like a light and hit you and you understand why certain things are emphasized. Paul emphasizes many things as well. And this is one of the doctrines that he emphasizes. One of the teachings that cut across from church to church into his sons of whom he's about to leave the garment. Now, he says in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 12, He says, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, as he says in Timothy, according to his gospel, okay, then he says, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Meaning that in Paul's time, there were people who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Are you following me? In Paul's era, there are people who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Did they not believe that a dead man can be raised from the dead? Not really. There's a deep understanding of this resurrection. Okay? Why? Because if we're talking about the dead being raised, come on. Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. Dorcas was raised from the dead later by the apostles. I mean, a number of people were raised from the dead. If you go back into the Old Testament, we see the Elijahs raising people from the dead. The Elijahs, their bones are raising people from the dead. So raising people from the dead as an act of praying for them and then coming back to life. That one was a known fact. But here, we're talking about a deeper understanding of the resurrection of the dead. And by implication, the consequence of doubting the resurrection of the dead becomes a deeper issue to discuss. It's not for the simple are you hearing me it's not for the what for the simple Paul is trying to tell you it's not for the simple understand this understand this understand this 
Now you're going to see how deep this doctrine is. He says, verses 13, But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If you imply that this particular resurrection of the dead does not exist, then Jesus Christ is not risen. But if you say that Christ is risen from the dead, then this other resurrection you're doubting also exists. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It also exists because it's tagged on the resurrection of the Christ. Christ is the ultimate reason why we believe in the resurrection of the dead as a doctrine. If you don't believe that Christ was raised from the dead, then we don't have that discussion. And of course, there are people who don't believe that Christ was raised from the dead. For example, the Islamic teaching. Islam teaches that Jesus Christ, at the point of death, he was switched with another man. And they crucified another man and not him. You understand what I'm saying? And that is why, if he was not raised from the dead, so what is special about him? The special one is Muhammad, peace be upon him. Now, they don't believe in the resurrection. Why? Because of the power. That comes in understanding what it means for Christ to be raised from the dead. And so Paul is saying, if you don't believe in the resurrection, then Christ is not dead either. Are you hearing me? And if there be no resurrection, verses 13 of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, he says, then our preaching is vain and your faith is also vain. You see how powerful this is? If we don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, then we are teaching for nothing and you're believing for nothing. You're doing nothing here. You should have stayed home. You understand what I'm saying? It's useless. It's futile. Because our faith and our preaching gains tenacity through the resurrection of the dead. And the next verse says, yeah, we are also found to be false witnesses of God. This is what makes a false prophet, false pastor, false teacher, false evangelist. If I don't believe, or if there is no resurrection of the dead, then for us to speak about Jesus Christ, it makes us false witnesses. Because we have testified that God, that he has raised up Christ, whom he raised up, not if so be that the dead rise not. And then 16 says, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. Are you hearing me? And if Christ be not raised, then your faith is what? And if your faith is in vain, now, more complicated, you're still in your sins. This is deeper than you think. Because remember, the death of Christ is what takes away our sins. Now, if you don't believe in the death of Jesus Christ, then our preaching is useless, but also you're yet in your sins. Hallelujah. Now, if you understand 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen only, you can never call yourself a sinner again. If you understand that verse only. You cannot call yourself a sinner again. You can't. Don't you see? He's saying that if Christ be not raised, then your faith is in vain and ye are yet in your sins. So, think about it the other way now. So if Christ indeed is raised, and your faith is to profit, then you're not in sin. 
You're not a sinner. You're a saint. I have seen religious people trying to fight with this thing. There's a saint. God is calling us to make ourselves straight because we are sinners. Did you hear that? Saints. God is calling us to straighten up ourselves because we are sinners. Saints. God is calling us to straighten up ourselves because you know we are all sinners saved by grace. Let me tell you. You are not a sinner saved by grace. Eh, eh? Apostle, what do you mean? Let me explain it. The man who sinned and was saved by grace died with Christ. Who has understood what I just said? The man who died with Christ was the sinner. The new man is born of God. The Bible says that it dies in corruption and it is raised in incorruption. Did you hear what Corinthians says? In other words, when that man dies with Jesus, he is dead in corruption. But when the man is raised, he is raised incorruptible. That's what Corinthians says. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, that's what he says in 42. He says, so is also the resurrection of the dead. He says, it is sown in corruption. And it is raised in incorruption. Now, your resurrection does not come with corruption. So if it does not come with corruption, why are you then conscious of the corruption things? Why are you conscious of the corruptible things? He says, born again, not of the corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. He says, it liveth and abideth forever. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner saved by grace. I'm not a sinner. Now I'm a saint. The sinner died with him. Praise God. Hallelujah. And then he goes in 18, verses 18 and says, Then they also which have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. It means that the people which died in Christ have perished. And verses 19 says, And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are of all men most miserable. If we don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, mama. Now, let's now look at the other side of that same scripture. Because if the Bible says in this life, if we have only hope in this Christ who was not raised from the dead, we are of all men most miserable. Uh Let's now take it the other way around. Now, if in this life we have hope in a Christ which was raised from the dead. That means in this life you are the happiest. Hallelujah. That is why in my years of ministry, I have failed to understand how somebody can sit in church like this and they are teaching and they are like... And people are clapping and they are like...
not be miserable. Do you know what Jesus did? If in this life our hope is in Christ and we believe in the resurrection of the dead, even if you're the most composed person, at least you put your head down and say, Rokoto, then come back. Shut up. Or if you can't clap, eh, at least you just do. Because we have reason to be happy. That is why they sing. Celebrate. Jesus celebrate. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, he is risen. He is risen. And he reigns forevermore. church and be sad. <laughs> Woo! Glory! Somebody once told me, but Fanero people, you shout. Then I asked her, tell us why we shouldn't. Are you tell us? Do you know what it means for Jesus to die for me? Do you know that you are aimed for death and destruction? You could have been buried right now without hope, without faith. You'd walk this world miserable like this, like a chicken that has been rained on. But glory to God that you've been through all of these things. But you're still more than a conqueror by Christ who strengthens you. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives. Why? Because you know, you know, you know, he holds my view. Your life is worth. commit suicide because he lives you can face tomorrow even if you slept hungry and they left you last night he's still alive oh fear is gone even if the doctor gave you the worst report but you know that you know that you know that you know God holds your future and your life is worth It doesn't matter what you've gone through. There is another day for you. It's always there. <laughs> oh,
from the dead and become the first fruits of them that die. Become the first fruits of them that die. What does he become? He become the first fruits of them that sleep. Because when he dies, we can only sleep. We can't die. <laughs> what? We can die. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Romans chapter 6 verses 8. He says, now, if we be dead with Christ, he says, we believe that we also shall not die, but we shall live with him. And he says, knowing, knowing, that Christ being raised from the dead, the Bible says, he dieth no more. What a doctrine. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, he dieth no more. Death has no more dominion over him. Now, if you died with him, and when Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, it means because you believe in the resurrection of the dead, you don't believe in dying again. We can only sleep. And if we are people who sleep, then sleep is planned. Sleep is deliberate. That is why I said the sound of my voice in the mighty name of Jesus. Death will never catch any man at the sound of my voice unawares. You will not just die. See, you died in a car accident. Far from you in the name of Jesus. The pestilences of the night will not catch you. No. They will speak of you and then say, after she finished serving God in her generation, she slept. My grandfather, the man who fathered my mother, was an evangelist. He died 112 or something. When the man died, my mom told me that day, he just told guys, bye guys, I'm out. Eh? See you in heaven. Say goodbye. Not this. No. That's how you'll go to heaven. In the mighty name of Jesus. Shout amen if you believe it. Why? Because for us we sleep. And sleep is deliberate. You take yourself there. <laughs> Somebody shout hallelujah. How many of you plan to live a long life? Hey. You understand what I'm saying? But some of us are not dying next year, next week. <laughs> no, we're still busy. Hallelujah. Winning souls, occupying until he comes, changing generations, rewriting histories, aligning ourselves and aligning things to the glory of God. So because the Christ dies, he dies once. And therefore death has no dominion over him. 
That means we don't die. You can't say so and so is dead. If they are a saint, they don't die. Somebody shout hallelujah. That is why when you sleep, we don't cry for you. Because you have slept. Hallelujah. Verses 10. For in that he died, nah, the Bible says, he died unto sin also once. <laughs> this is so deep. This is so deep. Now, he says if he died, even to sin, he died once. You can't die twice over sin. Did you die with him? Answer me. Did you die with him? The one who died with him, he says, for he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. That is Christ. And now he says in the next verse, likewise. You see what I'm saying? Recon ye yourselves to be dead indeed and to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you see what I'm just saying? Do you see that this is a very powerful thing to know the resurrection of the dead? Now, Paul speaks of experiences in time where he says, in dying often. When we're talking about the dyings of Paul, we're not talking about the death of sin. No. We're talking about the deaths of the wilderness. And the deaths of the assignments. Those are different. I could teach about the different deaths in Christ, but not the one of sin. That one, ye are dead. Some of you don't know that when he speaks in Romans chapter 6, right? He's trying to deal with an issue in the first verse. 6 verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Let's go back and you see where he's coming from. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Like they think that grace ministers just teach continuing sinning. Listen. Paul says, God forbid. How? He didn't say why should we. He said, how shall we that are dead to sin? How? Can we live there in longer? We're dead to it. So, when you're talking about a grace ministry, like this one, we're not talking about sin. We're dead to it. So, why should I teach more of what you're dead to than what you're alive unto? Answer me. Why should I invest more time teaching on what you're dead to than who you are alive unto? Paul says, when as among you are sought to know nothing and be acquainted of nothing, serve him and crucify it. Somebody shout hallelujah. So if you come in this ministry and we don't so much talk about it, don't think we don't take it serious. No, we do. But you don't need to tell a man that stealing is wrong. We all know it's wrong. Or at least if they have the Holy Spirit, they know. Because now these laws are written on our hearts. Somebody shout hallelujah. That is why he says now, likewise, recon, account, conclude, convince, understand ye yourselves to be dead and to sin, but alive and to God. To be alive unto God means you are yielded to God. 
it means you are available to God. It means that you are broken to God. It means you are usable to God. Oh, it is alive unto God. Alive unto God. It means there is something in you of the divine DNA that lives. You cannot be alive unto God and not hear his voice. Oh, speak to me. I've spoken, but Jesus is not talking. You're dead? No. If you are alive unto God, alive unto God, it means you're that thing he wants to use. When he thinks of using, he says, let me see, I want someone to do this. Grace, Grace. <laughs> Put your name. Call yourself. Sarabakata. If I just had time to explain what it means to be alive unto God. That's the thing that activates away in the physical world. It's the thing that manifests. Do you know what it means to show forth the praises of him that called you out of darkness into his marvelous life? You don't just say you are. You show forth. When you are alive unto God. The spirit realm. The power. Are you hearing me? Look. Did I lay hands on anyone? Did I lay hands on anyone? Look at what's happening. That is what it means to be alive. That means you are a life current. You are a life where the power of God flows through you anytime. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. Glory to God. Because you have the life of God which is in you. That life goes on cancers and it heals them. It casts out devils and cleanses the lepers. It raises the dead because it is inside you. Somebody shout, Amen. That's why it says in verses 12, listen to the language of the New Testament. The language of the New Testament says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. It didn't say, let not sin reign in your soul. Let not sin reign in your spirit. It cannot. It's not there. It will never be there. It cannot be there. It can only be in your mortal body. He says, so don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the last thereof. So he's saying, deal with your body to agree with who you are in the spirit. But as we know, as we know you spiritually, you're perfect. Somebody shout hallelujah. So you see that without teaching these things, we can't go to perfection. We cannot lay the foundation of perfection. If men don't know that they are dead to sin and its power and dominion, how can we go to perfection? We can't. We can't. Somebody shout amen. Shout amen. But also deeper, in that too, when we're talking about the resurrection of the dead and to God, alive and to God, and the deadness to sin and the old nature, we also touch the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ. That is a fundamental doctrine. Now, I am one of the proponents that teaches that the rapture precedes the tribulation. I have seen even grace ministers who teach that the tribulation precedes the rapture. I don't understand which grace they teach. I'm yet to understand what they understand by that. But when the Bible says in Psalms that I will not let my righteous see corruption. Now when you study the word corruption there, the literal definition of corruption, 
is the most sheer manifestation of evil. Tribulation is one of those times. It's going to be a very evil hour of human history. It's going to be so evil. The Bible says that if it was not shortened, it was going to destroy and take even the elect. I don't think that the church, the regenerated creature in Christ, would live in a period where it is void of power when God has given it. Because in the tribulation, the beast shall have power over men. They will not have power to buy or sell except by a sign. You understand? And everybody who does not bow to this beast, the Bible says they'll be killed, they'll be tortured, they'll be destroyed. Those are people who will believe after they've seen the rapture. Because in that time, Matthew says, and he that readeth shall understand. Okay? He shall understand. Why does he understand? Because he will go to Daniel and read about the abomination of desolation. And then see the temple destroyed according to Daniel. And then he will understand by the books that this was the time spoken of when the altar of the gospel was broken in the time. And then the tribulation because that is the only time God has given power over the beast to exercise his authority over the earth. Now how can that one find a person, okay, a believer at that particular point, whom God has told that with all things God are possible? How can they coexist? Behold, I give you power to trample over snakes and scorpions. How can such a believer find the beast? Would God go against his word? No. But it shall be for those who shall be in that time. Because that time is spoken of that even the believers of that time shall be under the power of the beast. But those who read shall believe. And when they come to the saving knowledge, then persecution will hit them. Some will be killed. Some will be beaten, persecuted, and, you know, maimed or whatever it shall be. That's going to be a very bad time. As I say, if it was not for the shortening of the time, even the elect would be dissuaded and destroyed. Now, it's in that time where he says, he that believeth to the end shall be saved. Because there is a pressure in that time for men to denounce Christ because of the conditions that shall be on the earth. That... It will look criminal to be Christian. Now, you can't use that scripture to tell a believer. Because some people use that same scripture to teach believers now that he that believeth to the end, the same shall be saved. Meaning that your salvation is only sure when you believe to the end. As though there is a point where you can unbelieve. He began the work. He's the author and the finish of my faith. Hello? He's the author. If I believed, I believed. If I believed, I what? Unless I didn't really believe. But if I believed, then he's the author. I cannot reverse that. He's in charge of my life now. Are you following what I'm saying? But we believe in the resurrection of dead. But we're going to come to that. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. He says, We shall not all sleep. Thank God uses the word sleep again. But we shall all be changed. And the verse says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. He's talking about the rapture. That, we also believe, that in the time of the rapture, when they are catching up, the saints who shall be alive at that time, some of us believe we shall be, some of you might not, Paul believed he shall be caught up. He wasn't, but may I believe I will be. So, 
in the time when we are caught up, okay, the people which slept in Christ, the Bible says they shall be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. That's where the terrestrial becomes celestial. That's where the transfiguration takes place. But I told people, the rapture cannot come until the word is so full in the church that our bodies turn from terrestrial to celestial. That will be the lightning and transfiguration of our bodies because the word shall be filled. Why? Because it says in the end time the gospel shall be preached of this kingdom and the end shall come. He's saying he's coming for a church which is without spot nor wrinkle. We're preparing. Somebody shout hallelujah. And the only way a church cannot carry spot or wrinkle is when it's fully cleansed by the washing which is of the water. And that water is the blood. Somebody shout hallelujah. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. So as we continue teaching and teaching and teaching, we're cleansing you to a point where God will come. He's not talking about just, he's coming for a church when everything you are doing is so correct. No, he's talking about a church that is washed by water. It's without blemish or spotless because it has been cleansed with the washing of the water. That means he's coming for a church which is so mature in the word. Then, our terrestrial bodies will become celestial. Somebody shout hallelujah. That catching up of the people, the saints which have believed, you realize it only catches up the saints which are incorruptible. That is not the whole resurrection story. There is another one which comes at the end in John, when he says, 5.28, he says, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all they that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth, and they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done even to the resurrection of damnation. That one is in the end time, what we call the second coming. The second coming of Jesus Christ is not the rapture. In the rapture, he does not come. In the rapture, we are caught up. And then the tribulation takes place, the war, the battle of Armageddon, and then after that, the Christ comes back in second coming. And when he comes, then that's the second coming. That's the time when all the guys who had died before, and some of the saints which had died but had received Christ from the beginning of the tribulation, all of those will be caught up. Did you understand what I'm saying? That is the resurrection of the end. That is why he says in that one, that second one, we meet him in the air. Are you hearing me? In First Thessalonians 4.16, he says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we that are alive shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then he says in Thessalonians, Therefore, scare the saints with these things. Scare people with these things. No, he says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You want to know why? Because for us, the coming of Jesus Christ is the most beautiful thing. When this chibode, terrestrial, is changed to celestial, when we go to meet our Lord and then all is there, I see Paul, what up? Are you hearing me? I see all my peeps right there, hallelujah. And then you guys in heaven are also going to be somewhere with me, are you hearing me? We meet on the street and say, what up? 
I was talking to John the other time. I was talking to Elijah last week. And the guy was telling me, I, those are going to be our conversations. Then our friends who died, the Reinhard Bonkies, the Billy Grahams, they will all be there. Your family relatives who died in the Lord, all of them you will be catching up. Well, by the way, why did you die early? You didn't know the younger word. Then you talk. Are you hearing me? It's going to be a wonderful time. So comfort one another because... The judgment, eternal judgment that is to come is not against the believer. That's why he says in John chapter 16 verses 8, when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And he says of sin because they believe not on me. That means the biggest sin is not believing on God, Jesus Christ. That's the biggest. But I killed someone last week. The biggest is not receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And he says of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no one of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. That means we already know how the judgment of this world is. In fact, the Bible says the saints shall judge the world. So I don't think, and it's not anywhere in Scripture, like some people teach that all of us will be in one line. Why? Because they read John. <laughs> so they think God needs to make a what? One line. Where we are all here, then we are all in one line like this. <laughs> then you see those they are throwing and you're like. Isn't that Bishop? <laughs> Isn't that Apostle Gundi? Isn't that Prophet Evangelist? Isn't that Evangelist? <laughs> you understand? Eh? And a funny musician comes with his hair. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're going to heaven. We're going to heaven. Somebody shout hallelujah. God has already judged us through Christ. And he died for sin once. He doesn't need to die again because he dealt with it. If you are a believer in Christ, be rest assured you'll be in heaven. Praise God. But I just want you to thank God for the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment that is for you. When John the Revelator saw the glory that would come, he said, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Raise your voice and speak to God. I can only imagine... What it would be like when I was by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes would see when I see face to face. I can only Surrounded by your blood, what will my heart be? Will I tell for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence to my knees? Will I sing hallelujah will I be 
sing the second verse. I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. I can only imagine when all I will do is forever, forever worship you. I can only imagine. once and for all that we might live and do God like you live and do God thank you God because you're coming back and that our faces will behold you in beauty in joy nothing ashamed nothing wavering but with the satisfaction of seeing you our Lord for whom we labored for whom we love for whom we served and for whom we live for. Thank you. Give him a mighty hand of praise. Come on, clap your hands to Jesus. Clap your hands to Jesus. And if you're sick in your body, just receive your healing now. Receive it. Because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ so disease is judged I decree that you're having a wonderful week in the mighty name of Jesus you're finishing they are so well in the mighty name of Jesus great things await you in the mighty name of Jesus goodness and mercy follow you in the mighty name of Jesus you're favored in your workplaces you're favored in your schools you're favored in everything you'll do. Greatness is already yours. To the glory of God. May He bless you. 
May he make his face shine upon you. May he be merciful to you. In Jesus name. Say amen. Come on clap for Jesus. Now if you're here. And you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to receive him as your Lord and Savior. Because everything we said is for the saints. If you have not received Christ, you are still a sinner. I want to give you an opportunity to repent from the greatest sin of human history. Not believe in Christ. If you feel God convict you, please repeat this as after me. Say Lord Jesus, I have heard your word and I believed it. Say, I believe that you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Tonight, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 41 466 4291 or email us at at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.funero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero, make manifest.